0: Hello and welcome to the ROPEScast, the independent voice of the Middle East. I'm Ksenia Svetlova.
1: And I'm Ibrahim Abu Ahmad. ROPES stands for the Regional Organization for Peace, Economics and Security. We are a young organization that works on laying the groundwork for a post-conflict Middle East by connecting forward-thinking Israeli, Palestinians, emerging leaders with like-minded peers from across the region. We share a holistic vision for the Middle East where everybody has more to gain, has more to win from conflict resolution and integration than to lose. If you are looking for more information on ropes, please visit us on our website, ropes.org.
0: Our very special guest today is Huda Al Araqib. Huda Al Araqib is the first on the ground regional director of FOLMAP. Since 2014, she has years of experience in conflict resolution, NGO leadership and social change, education and activism, as well as a lifelong commitment to building strong people to people, Israeli-Palestinian relations. She is a well-known speaker on issues related to Middle East politics and Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Huda is a co-founder of the Center for Transformative Education and has taught and trained hundreds of students in Israel and the U.S., Previously, Huda worked as teacher, trainer, and a consultant for the Palestinian Ministry of Education. She is the oldest of 12 children, the daughter of respected Palestinian educators, and an aunt to 22 nieces and nephews, born in Jerusalem, now residing in Hebron.
1: So, Xenia, before we have our guest today, um, you know, we're going to be heavily discussing the Palestinian issue with something that you in your journalistic work have uh, have focused a lot on. Where do you see us standing today with the this two state solution, the Palestinian question, the Palestinian people as a people? You know,
0: uh, so it's funny because uh, it feels like the glass is also half full and half empty at the same time. Uh, it's half empty because we are not going anywhere. Uh, the peace negotiations that I covered uh, in the 2000s and the, the last time it was in 2014, uh, they ended in 2014, and since then we have a stalemate. Uh, and uh, I can see also how the young people, and this is uh, something that I want to discuss with our guests today, are not even aware. I'm talking about Israelis, of course. They are not aware about the status of the Palestinians. That, that they are not citizens. That they are not. They do not have equal rights. Uh, they do not know where is. Uh, you know what is the green line? Where does it pass? And what is the difference between Israeli cities? and towns within Israel, 48, uh, and those who are are in the West Bank, the settlements. Uh, So this, uh, for me, it makes the picture a little bit grim because uh, I feel that uh, if you don't have any movement uh, ahead, then you will be moving backwards, and this is not good. Uh, um, My glass is also half full. Uh, Because I do see how in the result uh, of the protests that we experience now for over 30 weeks, uh, there is an amazing turn. Uh, Then suddenly, you know, I think more and more people started to understand uh, that there is something wrong with settlement violence, for example. The very word occupation. uh, Suddenly we hear it times and again. Uh, this is exciting because uh, this uh, word was a kind of a taboo for many, many years. Exactly. You know, so except for Shalom Achshav, Peace Now, people, B'Tselem, uh, and some merits uh, members of Knesset, uh, it was not mentioned at all. Suddenly you have it all over Twitter and you have many people during the anti-occupation uh, block uh, in the demonstrations. How about you, Ibrahim? How do you feel about it? You
1: know, just on that point, I honestly, I feel that uh, the protests are bringing something new because we are discussing. What's the future of Israel in terms of democracy? And I see. And the is it compatible
0: with the continuation of the
1: control of, of, uh, of millions of Palestinians? 100%. Who and, are not you know, citizens of Israel? And all like, you know, I'm seeing that there is a, a, a vacuum uh, a, and a discussion taking place. And my biggest frustration is that my community is not part of this discussion. And I think that there is a connection to the Palestinian issue. If we, as an Arab community in Israel, connect with the protests to improve what is democracy in Israel, that will also have a ripple effect on how we deal with the Palestinian issue. So I definitely want to ask our uh, guest about how does that influence the situation and how can the protests actually improve the situation of the status quo that we have? Because frankly... I don't know about you, but I'm sick of the status quo. We're tired of it. There is no status quo,
0: I think, you know, because it's uh, uh, it's like a river, you know. You cannot, you can never <laughs> enter the same water. It's always moving. So the same is with the status quo. There is actually no status quo. Either you move forward or you're going backwards.
1: You know, I've never thought about it this way. I'm going to take this from you for the future. <laughs> Yala, let's bring our guest. And uh, yeah, without further ado, our guest, Huda. Ahlanus
0: Ahlan usahlan Huda. It's a pleasure to welcome you at the RopeCast. And please tell us a little bit more about your organization, the OLMAP. What does it stand for?
2: As always, it's a pleasure to be with Robes, but with you, Ksenia Ibrahim, very nice meeting you again. OLMIP is the Alliance for Middle East Peace. It's a network of 170 organizations that have different theories of change when it comes to disrupting the status quo here in Palestine and Israel. And I think it's important here to point out that since 2014, we grow from just the basic people-to-people conversation, dialogue between the mind-like, people to including the unusual suspects into into peace um, talks. I think, I believe, I know for sure that everyone has a stake in this conflict, should be involved, including those who think that religion is a huge part of their um, identity, including those who think their national aspirations are not met and are in danger, under threat. So I believe that everyone should be included. Women have been the most important part of the missing equation when it comes to peace. And since 2014, we've managed as the Alliance for Middle East Peace to include more women into these difficult conversations and not being biased at all. But I see that women are always ready to roll their sleeves and get into the work because there is so much on stake out there. And it is the lives of our children.
1: You know, I would even say that uh, we've had men trying to work on this conflict for so long and we haven't seen any uh, improvements for the best. So maybe yeah, you guys failed miserably. I know. So maybe (laughs) it is the place uh, that women need to take charge, particularly when we look at the Palestinian side and uh, to see a different approach and a different vision for a future. Because I think women talk more about the future uh, of the community rather than just, you know, what is today.
2: I agree with you, Ibrahim, but it's also, again, about being inclusive when we look at how we can change things. Women and men should be involved in that. And I do look at, at men in our society, especially in conflict zones, as victims of the systems that created them. We take the responsibility as women on how our men grow in our community. Or being raised
1: by other women.
2: Yeah, because they, we we also had been conditioned to think that men should be a certain way. And we suppressed many of their emotions, their involvement. And I do believe if we want to get our ourselves out of this um, mess, it should be a true inclusive partnership. Absolutely. Uh, Huda, you know, I was
0: reading your bio and I was thinking like, wow, you know, you've been doing this for quite some time. You're engaged in uh, peace activism and education. And um, today in 2023, uh, we find ourselves actually going backwards, Mm -hmm. away from achieving peace. Uh, Mm -hmm. It must be frustrating. How do you deal with this? What
2: motivates you to continue? I... I have to disagree with you. I think peace is becoming more savvy in its um, approach to how peace can be done. This is something that we have never looked at as it should be inclusive, it should be creative, it should be about people rather than um, interests. And I do feel that we are much more in a better place now rather than um, in the past. Um, after Oslo, things were done on the on the, uh, track one level, and we as human beings who were on the ground, either Israelis or Palestinians, we were not engaged. We were told that we need to engage, but we were not engaged from the beginning. And I think now, especially with what's happening in Israel, particularly with this government, there is... Um, There is, to me, a hope because the investment in a stronger civil society in a conflict zone is paying off now. I see people taking to the streets every day and I know that this is going to lead to something if this something is the minimum which is disrupting the status quo to me this is a success we cannot continue blaming the peace community for not bringing peace all the time because we are such a small but yet very resilient community we still adapt, we still change things we still uh, believe that we can be more inclusive but it's not the only, we are not the only actors and for that to happen we need mass movements on the ground and this is what I'm saying now and that's why I'm hopeful.
1: So you just mentioned the the judicial overhaul in Israel. And, uh, you know, as uh, particularly for our community as Arab citizens of Israel, we see that we're not Mm -hmm. participating in this discussion. And the discussion is not anymore only about the judicial overhaul. The discussion today is the question of what is democracy in Israel in the future? First of all, how do you see this whole issue affecting the Palestinian people? And where do you see our role as Arab citizens of Israel, Palestinian Israelis, in the protests, in in, in influencing this uh, uh, and the effects on the Palestinians? Where do you see us and how do you encourage us to be on the streets? Because I've been trying, haven't been working, succeeding things that well. So what, what do you recommend?
2: You guys need to lead. It's just that simple. One of the things that I took pride in is the story of the Palestinians who are citizens of Israel getting into the game, the democratic game, getting into the system, trying to change things from within, making it better for them as citizens, using the so-called democracy at at that time in order to raise to power. And to us, this is the only success story that I see for Palestinians in the past few years, 20 years at least. I show how the Palestinian young Palestinian citizens of Israel engaged into the game and got some gains. I'm not saying that they've got everything uh, sorted out, but the fact that they engaged got them to a place where their voices were heard. Um, we look up to you guys in the West Bank and in Gaza. And I'm speaking about people who are like me. I'm not speaking about the entire Palestinian community. At some point in our history, we discriminated against you, and now we take pride in everything you are doing. And this is the time for you, us, for you guys to lead us, both the Israelis and the Palestinians who live in the West Bank and uh, Gaza. To lead us towards a, uh, a break of that stalemate we need your expertise in working within the system in order to change the system and when i uh, talk to youth in palestine mainly this is the only model they refer to as a successful model and i think you guys have so much on your shoulders to carry but you have to take that responsibility seriously and get engaged so uh Uday, you know you uh when we are speaking
0: about this uh Uh, unbelievable protests that are taking place now for over 30 weeks. Um, And of course, you know, Israel right now is very much focused on what's inside Mm -hmm. Uh, the Knesset, the government, you know, the prime minister and so on. Uh, But it also at the same time, There is, of course, some awakening and we do hear that people, for example, start to use the word occupation again. Mm -hmm. People who would you never think, you know, Mm -hmm. that they would that they even recognize this word Uh, and suddenly they they speak it, you know. So uh, one of the articles that was published in Yidiota Akronot just last week used the word Sumud, Mm -hmm. uh, the strongest, the steadfast uh, of the Palestinians. uh, Like, uh, you know, an example to this is what we need to do. In regards to the protests uh, to this government. So you have like this overlap of territories. But at the same time, there is so much less attention in the Israeli. Uh, 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 society towards what is going in the West Bank specifically. Well, Gaza is ex-territory, unfortunately, we've Mm. been for many years but here, West Bank is here, you know so I'm Mm. thinking always, uh, you know, when I came to live in Modin, I was always telling uh, my friends that I live in about 40 minutes from Tel Aviv Jerusalem and Ramallah Mm -hmm. and they're like Ramallah? I'm Mm. like, yes, you know, but this is also like a major town Then it's quite close and I'm there often as a journalist, you know, and, and so on Um, But it doesn't seem to that it doesn't really exist, you know, for like average Israeli. How do you change that? How do you tackle that? How do you bring, you know, the, of course, you know, burnings of the villages, this in in extreme, but everyday experience of the Palestinians who live uh, in the, you know, state of occupation, how do you uh,
2: entangle that? So. I am not downplaying the impact of the different Israeli governments on the Palestinians living in the West Bank or in Gaza. The occupation is the occupation. It's military. It's aggressive. It's uh, revolving around security of one particular group rather than the other. I can talk about that until the next day, but what what is hopeful here and now at this moment is that... Um, activism that I see in the streets in in Israel that is for, uh, for them retrieving a sense of democratic state. Now, for us, this is the time to inject what democracy means and teach what democracy means. And I one of the hopeful uh, points of all that is happening now is the anti-occupation block growing. The word occupation versus democracy is being used all the time. The fact that the Israelis now know that Oslo did not end the occupation, actually kind of amplified it. And now this is the teaching moment. This is why I think that Palestinians who are citizens of Israel should engage. The Palestinians in the West Bank should engage. This is the moment for us to to work together and co-resist together nonviolently that system that wants us to continue to be enemies so for it to survive. And I said I, this is one of the hopeful moments for me. Now, Palestinians, nothing has changed on them for them on the ground. But I wouldn't say that it's only because the occupation didn't end. Because there were systems in Palestine also created in order to maintain the status quo. And for that, we need all together to work in order to disrupt that status quo.
1: And, uh, you know, I do believe that uh, it is our role as uh, Palestinian Israelis that uh, we're the only ones who are both. We're the Mm -hmm. only ones who are Mm -hmm. both Palestinians and Israelis. So we should be the ones to bridge this gap and connect is- Israelis and Palestinians. Because if we, you know, uh, heal this sort of wound that exists in the Israeli society between Arabs and Jews, if we find a partner, we can convey that to our brothers in the West Bank and Gaza, that there is a partner.
2: Mm, not only that, you guys survived the system and changed the system. And this is so much to learn from you.
1: And we want to bring hope and yeah. hope to the Palestinian youth. And on that, I would like to ask you, so what are the challenges that the Palestinian youth uh, face today?
2: Yeah, this is a very good question. And you can look at different trends in Palestine now and see how the... The youth is being drifted toward extremism, but this is not only in Palestine, actually in Israel also. Youth are drifting towards uh, extremism. I approach the Palestinian youth uh, attitudes from a human needs theory rather than national theory or identity theory. If you are a young human being in the world what are the most important needs to you i look at these needs and then i understand the trends and attitudes of the palestinian people nothing brought us change um peace didn't work it's 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 actually becoming a very traumatic word for us peace means more loss rather than gains um, there's no recognition of our plight there is not so many people now learning or knowing what's happening on the ground there is no access for us you know as youth and I'm sorry I'm using the word us but um I'm not y- youthful anymore but I do very feel now uh, yeah, at, <laughs> at least we can pick on those weak links coming from youth voices No access to the world, no voice given to them. The youngest in our leadership is 80 years old. And that's (laughs) not even representative of the fact that the maiden age in in the West Bank is 20 and in in Gaza is 16. And look who is representing us, whether here or abroad. Same thing when it comes to also opportunities. Well, Israel is getting closer. (laughs) Yeah, that's... <laughs> in on the yeah, way. Sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. You look at the world also and you see this is one of the biggest problems that are, even in Europe, um, unfortunately, it's youthful movement that is getting to the right wing rather than the, um, the other way around. But we shouldn't shift. We should speak to youth needs at the moment and try and speak to them and make them uh, a, a fulfilled so for the youth to feel engaged. One of the issues... Issues in, in Palestine now is this sense of, over, of overwhelming apathy. And it's okay. When you are under a lot of uh, pressure, you need to protect your own. So you don't care about what, what's happening in the neighborhood. You just want to take care of your own uh, people. And many of the young Palestinians that I talk to them, um, the minute they have a baby, everything changes to them. And that's very human. I think this is where we can change the dynamics. If we can protect our children, give a safe space for our young Palestinians to know that they have a potential to grow, and this is not only on the occupation, it's also on the Palestinian leadership, End this occupation that is telling us that we have no partner on daily basis. Literally, when you drive on Road 60 in the West Bank, you know that you don't have a partner. You only see that side of the Jewish life and Israel that wants you out. And for that, we need security. We just are as equal and eligible for security just like any other person in the world.
0: So speaking of that, uh, since the beginning of the year, we saw a lot of dramatic and painful events uh, in Jenin and uh, Gaza. Uh, there is also increase, uh, you know, in uh, militant activity, terrorism uh, and uh Blood is, uh, you know, spilling, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also, uh, during the last delegation of uh, emerging Arab leaders from Mm -hmm. across the Middle East, uh, we brought them to Bethlehem and also to Hebron, uh, which is the city Mm. that you live in. Uh, And uh, it was an eye-opening experience because people do not know enough. Can you fill us in quickly, you know, about what is going on on the ground specifically in Hebron? Uh, uh, In regards to, you told, you mentioned security, uh, places like refugee camp of Jenin, which were in the head titles of uh, across the world. Um, How is life going on there? How do people uh, live there?
2: Life there is almost difficult to comprehend when it comes to the fact that the Palestinians have no way to live, literally like your water is being stolen mm-hmm. your land is being stolen your access to the world is being taken well, away can you
0: explain please for the sake of for people so, who are not so much you know do not know the reality
2: what does it mean stolen um when you know that a palestinian is entitled for one cube of water uh, versus a settler living in hebron five You know that it's stolen. It's the the water that the Palestinians have the right to because it's in the West Bank. And this is how they uh, they do agriculture. We are originally an agricultural community. Last week... My families from my mom's side, Dudin family, the army came and shut down all the water supplies that is giving uh, water to their land in Hebron, in a sea area. So I, I think the, the the fact that sea area where many of the Palestinians who work in agriculture is also being treated that way is giving us no option but to defend ourselves. We have the right to defend ourselves. We don't have the means to do it, but we have the. Right. Right. So this is one way of how Just this is. Just explaining
0: shortly for the sake of our listeners who are not, uh, do not know the terminology the C territory. It was designed during the Oslo courts, yeah. of course, as a temporary mean. Yeah. Uh, a, B and C. It was the division between the various spheres of responsibility and the Israeli government and the Israeli army yeah. uh, is has full responsibility. Incitatory, isn't it so? And it's one of
2: the reasons why many Palestinians (laughs) don't believe in peace anymore, because that was a peace agreement, you Mm. know, that led to more loss on the Palestinian side. So if if you attack the resources of the basic living of the Palestinians, what are you leaving them with? I I just want everyone, as an Israeli, if if you are listening to me, to answer that question. When people literally push you out of the door, what are you left with to do? And I think it's important to know that one of the words that is a taboo to use in our world, which is apartheid, Um, we cannot use it. Again, I'm making a, a mark here that we are not using it. But you go to Hebron, you walk in the old city of Hebron, and you know why this word is being used. And I don't think that many Jews in the world or in Israel know that it's all attached to their values. And I know that the Jewish values are not about division and conquer and apartheid and unjust systems. But guess what? This is what the uh, title, Jews don't want us here, they don't want peace, They uh, they want to push us to the sea, they are taking our resources, they are taking our lives, the potential for us to coexist together is left because Jews literally, and I'm sorry for using the term, but this is what the Jewish people need to know, that it's done under their name, and it's time for them to defend their Jewish values.
1: And uh, you know, uh, looking at what's happening in the past few years, we've seen a change in the political uh, sphere, particularly in the region. And if Mm you look at the Abraham Accords uh, in specific, uh, I mean, first of all, you know, um, there obviously there has been a backlash Mm -hmm. among Palestinians Mm -hmm. about the Abraham Accords. But you seem to have a a bit of a different perspective or view of the regional aspect and the regional uh, involvement. So what do you think Palestinians should be looking at in terms of the relations with the Gulf countries, with Morocco, how to uh, uh, elevate those relations and uh, what could be the new perspective of the Palestinian people on the relations and how to move forward?
2: I think the mistake that the Trump uh, administration did is excluding the Palestinians from the whole thing. But the strategic mistake that the Palestinians did is they boycotted it. Um, And I think the Abraham Accord could be an opportunity for us. First of all, the Palestinian Authority should have been the godfather of all the normalization um, agreements in the region. They They should have been the ones who are leading on forging these agreements. But since we were excluded either by the Trump administration decision or the fact that the Palestinian Authority didn't want to participate... That doesn't mean we shouldn't engage. I encourage every party to engage. As a civil rights movement person, as a peace activist, as a human being, I think... And also, most importantly, as a Palestinian, I feel we are losing our leverage as Palestinians in the Arab world. And this is one way to regain a dignified sense of a Palestinian struggle and identity in the Arab world. We are losing the argument with the youth in the Arab world because they also, like many Israelis, think that the occupation ended after Oslo, and it's just us who are not working uh, to to achieve it. There is also a a sense that the Palestinians are just a bunch of um, ungrateful beggars that have been, um, you know, amplified in the Mm -hmm. Arab world. And we need to change that. So I am for engagement. If God engaged with the Satan, then we human beings should engage together. And I do believe that there is an opportunity now, especially with Morocco, to turn Abraham Accords towards more gains for Palestinians rather than losses. And I think it's important for us politically speaking, economically speaking, socially speaking, to engage with Abraham Accords countries in order to leverage the power they have over Israel now in order to secure more gains for the Palestinians.
0: Huda, we absolutely uh, support uh, your approach because in ropes we believe uh, that uh, you know, the Middle East uh, uh, is a place with its unique identity yeah. uh, and uh, everybody can fit in uh, with yeah, its identity. Absolutely. And uh, only if everybody wins, uh, essentially you know, there will be stability and peace for everyone. Yeah. And if you leave out somebody, is it a Palestinian or Israel or somebody else, eventually you will get a backlash uh, yeah, because this politics, is the nature of the world.
2: The politics of exclusion <coughs> didn't work will never work. It's yeah. about time for more of inclusive politics here in the region. and Israel should at some point feel that they can belong to a larger uh, progressive um, prosperous Middle East. Also, Israelis have to think of a way in order to make their identity connected more to the Middle East rather than the opposite.
0: Well, you know, uh, it's a funny story uh, about uh, my own family Mm -hmm. Uh, before coming to Israel, which was more than 32 years ago. I remember my mom and uh, some friends discussing uh, what Israel is like, Uh and some were saying that it's more like Europe and others were saying that it's more like the US Mm -hmm. and like boom. Surprise, it's mm. more like a Middle East.
2: Yes. <laughs> uh,
0: if you want to live in denial, yeah. fine. But, shocking. Uh, shocking, yeah. yes. Uh, you know, there are different, uh, of course, identities and different uh, countries here in the region. And uh, of course, you know, they also all of the Arab countries differ yeah. from each other. Uh, yeah. But yes, we are definitely part of the region. Uh, so therefore, you know, every delegation and every meeting and every... Uh, activity that we in robes do, we always include Israelis, Palestinians uh, and the wider Middle mm-hmm. East with mm-hmm. a variety of uh, identities that exist there, whether it's Kurds or Amazig, not only Arab, you know, because I think that we should open the door to everyone and everybody should open the door for us in this regard. I couldn't uh, agree more. I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, specific uh, perhaps uh, um, specific uh, help uh, that we can expect from Mm -hmm. Arab countries uh, in order to help uh, both sides. Uh, Because I think that these countries, basically, they understand much better Mm -hmm. uh, their problematics, uh, their mentality, uh, what to do, what not to do. I know that, for example, during the uh, second Camp David agreement that, that didn't, of course, happen, the talks uh, in the Camp David between Arafat and Barak. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know the Saudis were involved at some point uh, because uh, there were some cultural misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. Uh, people just didn't know, the Americans didn't know mm-hmm. uh, how to go further. So we saw Morocco engaging last year in the Allenberg Bridge yes, crossing. Yes. Uh, and we see how Qatar is involved in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Definitely Egypt plays a major, major role Absolutely. Uh, in, uh, you know calming the situation there uh, do you see more appetite uh, in the Arab countries to be more involved or are they more focused on their own uh, domestic issues uh, today?
2: they they are but that doesn't mean that Israel and Palestine is not still a priority and the last summit the Arab summit the last Arab summit kind of concluded that the first priority, Um, uh, item on the agenda was Israel and Palestine. And I think there is an appetite because everyone is going after a win. And Israel and Palestine still internationally and and regionally uh, could be a place where people can really win or really miserably fail. And I feel that there is an appetite in the Arab world at least when it comes to calming their situation Because there are things boiling in the Arab world around issues that has to do with equality, gender, youth, etc. And for them to pay more attention to their own backyard, they need to leverage more their work towards Israel and Palestine. I do still believe that if Palestine and Israel is resolved, the entire region is going to be stable, but also the entire world would have other issues in order to go to. And guess what? The vision is that the the Palestinians and the Israelis will be leading on transforming other conflicts in the world. And it would not happen without a regional concept for that.
1: And uh, my question, I guess, to you on that regard is, uh, you know, it's something that I also uh, think about, consider myself in my own work in trying to, you know, work on this peace building initiatives is uh, the backlash. Yeah. Um, do you receive backlash? How do you receive it? Um, how do you respond to it? And how do you cope with it?
2: All the time, Brahim. This is one of the things that is working all the time against us. But again, we, we should celebrate the fact that we are one of the most resilient communities so far in this conflict. Everyone else kind of left or gave up or joined an extreme movement. We still believe that we have potential. And I, as much as I understand the anti-normalization movement in Palestine and the BDS movement internationally, I still think that the way they are treating us is unjust in so many ways. We have the right also to resist in our w- own way. We have the right to gain uh, certain uh, demands in our own way. Nonviolence and engagement are the only ways that we have, and we're becoming more developed in the way we are approaching these two mechanisms to disrupt this conflict. If people want to join, that's great. We're not going actively after people to get them to leave their own groups in order to join us, and we expect the same. We respect the fact that these groups exist and have their own theory of change, but also we ask for some sort of credit when it comes to the fact that we exist here and we need to survive and we need to find a way in order to get our children to grow in a safer community, both the Palestinians and the Israelis. So if BDS and anti-normalization have a better approach to that, and I do believe they believe in nonviolence, but if they have a better approach that can gain uh, certain wins all through the way, at the same time maintains a sense of security for many Palestinians, I'm game. Just come to the table, talk to us rather than talk about us and use us in order to gain wins on the expense of young people. Palestinian women and men who want to find another way around it. This is survivorhood and we believe in survivorhood. We want to get out of the victimhood mentality. We want to take responsibility. We don't want to continue living in shaming and blaming.
0: Huda, this is something that is very important that you mentioned because we do hear from the right wing of the map in Israel all the time, Palestinians are not ready. They just don't want to assume responsibility. Mm -hmm. They uh, actually do not want a state of their own, you know, like Mm -hmm. anybody of them actually met a Palestinian in their life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, uh, without, you know, uh, asking justification for anything. But what can you tell about this kind of claims? You know, do
2: Palestinians want their own state? (laughs) Are they ready for it? I think... My generation, which is the first Intifada generation, we believed that because of our nonviolent activism, we brought our leaders from the diaspora. That was our win. A week before Oslo agreement, we were throwing stones at the Israeli army. A week later, we were throwing roses at them. We are still stuck in that moment. And that moment told us that this is the time for us to be our own state, to have a recognition by the whole world that we can carry a passport that gives us access to the entire world, that we will be having good relationships with the Israelis and we will grow together, that we, our security is going to be interdependent as Palestinians and Israelis, but also regionally, and that moment we're taken away from us. We can sit here and blame one party over or the other, but it's our responsibility to change that. We all contributed to the failure of that dream of having a palestinian state that flag the palestinian flag is a dream was a dream for my generation we were in prison because we draw it at some point and now we can carry it proudly all over palestine and we cannot take that lightly when you have your country name recognized by many countries at the un then we got somewhere let's not ruin it Mm -hmm to my israeli friends all over israel and in the world to have a state is just the same dream as your dream you needed a state we needed a state you needed a safe haven we we need a safe haven you need equal rights we need equal rights and we only can achieve that if we work together
1: wow um
0: and the peace process um, mm-hmm. so um, you know um, when we discuss uh, the future uh the future which is basically today you know it's the uh, today ends and you know here you have you know you, here's your future uh and uh, how can we galvanize the peace process? Because it seems that, uh, you know, and I saw the polls, recent polls uh, of the Palestinians by Dr. Khalil Shkaki, mm-hmm. who will also, uh, a spoiler, will be soon a guest uh-huh. uh, at the ropes Um And, uh, you know, this is uh, like, you know, uh, it's not encouraging, you know, because you mm-hmm. see that a lot of people, especially young people, uh, they support the activity of the armed groups, for example, mm-hmm. the Lion, mm-hmm. Den, and so on. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at the Israeli side of the map, you are not encouraged as well because you see specifically the youth uh, supporting the more right wingish uh, organizations and ideology, and they don't know anymore what is the green line, what is happening beyond the green line. They think that you know they they only recognize the you know Jewish existence there and so on. Uh, so what needs to happen to bring us? back to the you know this track uh, of negotiations uh, even if they will be hard but at least you have something you have some movement uh and uh also you know in regards to that uh you know uh, some people you know also in palestine but also in israel tell me listen it's over there is no two state solution mm-hmm. we cannot separate we mm-hmm. have to think about confederation you know like one motherland or whatever uh there are different movements but Like, you know, your dream of the, you know, the Oslo in the last uh, 30 years, uh, this is gone. What do you think about it?
2: I think there is potential for the two-state solution to continue to be the solution. Uh, There is a decline in, in the appetite for it. But again, we are human beings. The minute we feel that there are certain peace indicators that are showing themselves on the ground, we will go back to a place where we believe there is a potential for two-state solution. I think the danger, though, is not to do anything about it now. Because then we will literally move towards a one-state solution where the Palestinians would choose civil rights movement as a way to claim more wins. And here we are looking at the model of the Palestinians who live inside Israel, but also in other places in the world. In the bottom of all of that is the question of security if we believe that we have both sides both sides if we believe that we have equal rights when it comes to security we will not carry a gun we will not stab we will not uh, throw stones because at the end of the day what's it, what's on the stake is our lives one party is not accepting the other party and if you talk to youth about security and redefining security so as for it not to be a a manipulation tool to ignite more violence on the ground, then we will be on the safe side. What does security mean for Palestinians and Israelis? This is the question that we need to answer as two groups of people who are seeking the same goal. And from there, the peace and the the prospect of having a two-state solution is going to gain more uh, power. The opportunities now is, this government is an opportunity actually, because it's pushing the Israelis towards the wall. And it's time for the the Israelis to feel that there is something wrong here. It's pathetic, but they need to know that there is something wrong here. And it has to do with their identity and their existence in the region. And for the Palestinians to um, cooperate, build more strategic uh, uh, partnerships in the world, but also within the Arab world, including the Abraham Accord uh, countries to leverage the Palestinian claim towards a state. These are the opportunities that I believe are here. There is no opportunity with Europe or the United States. I don't think these two entities are willing or care enough in order to end the conflict. It's only us, the Israelis and Palestinians, and it's the region.
1: Well, uh, you know, Xenia, you asked about galvanizing the peace process. I think uh, the words and the actions of someone like Huda are... The ones that galvanize the peace process, and uh, you know, we need your voice um, to be heard as much as possible, really, because you're giving me personally hope. And uh, you know, uh, to all of us, mm-hmm. yeah, we're always, you know, challenging ourselves with the, with the the challenges all the time and things that are putting us down. And really, your voice is a beacon of hope. And uh, we, ad- I admire uh, everything you're doing. And truly, thank you so much for uh, being with us, sharing these thoughts you know, spreading them to everybody who's listening to our uh, Ropes cast. And it's been truly an honor and a privilege.
2: It, same for me. Olmip is here for our members. Ropes is one of our upcoming and very active uh, member. And we're here for you guys. You gave us a lot of hope because of the creativity you bring to the table and the fact that you are not giving up. That's amazing. No pasaran.
0: Mm. <laughs> we will not give up. Thank you so much, Koda. Thank, thank,
1: thank you so you. much for your time.
2: Thank you.
0: You've been listening to The Ropescast, the independent voice of the Middle East. Our guest today was Huda al arakib is the first on the ground regional director of Olmap, a peace activist and an educator.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Broadcast. Our podcast is available on Apple our Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all quality platforms. We're very grateful to our listeners from across the Middle East, Europe, the United States, and other parts of the world. You can support our work by a small donation. More details on our website, ropes.org. And we also invite you to follow us at ropes.org, also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and threads to find out more about our work with the emerging leaders of the Middle East. I'm Ibrahim Abu Ahmad and I'm Ksenia Svetlova. Shalom and salam.